First Corinthians chapter 13, I think we'll read the whole chapter. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, the subject of last week, this week, and the next week is uh, probably the most prominent subject in the history of the world. It's the thing that songwriters write about. It's the things those who write poetry write about, that the playwrights write about. Just about every kind of film that you think of, uh, love is going to creep in there somewhere, even if it's not in a a romantic film. Love, it seems, always has a part in all those things. And we talked about that a little bit last week as far as love being prominent. This chapter can be outlined as the prominence of love that we looked at last week, the perfections of love that we're looking at this morning, and the permanence of love as we'll be focusing on next week. But love is probably the largest subject in the history of the world. Every individual, I think, recognizes the value. Every individual wants to experience it in many different ways. But as we consider it this morning, the Bible lays out for us just what exactly is love. And he gets uh, into quite a detail on what we'd call the perfections of love. In fact, he's going to list uh, 15 different perfections as we look through this passage. Seven of them are put in a positive light. In other words, love does this. Eight of them are in a negative. In other words, love does not do this. All of them are referring to what love does, not so much what love is. It's not overly apparent in English. In English, they come off kind of as adjectives, right? Love is this, love is that. But actually, in the Greek language, all 15 of these are verbs. And so all 15 of them are not so much what love is, but what love does. And that makes sense. Because you know what? You can see what love is by what love does. And so as we look at this, it's it's not so much that he's trying to just instruct us. In other words, he doesn't just want you to know more about love. What he's trying to do is is instill change. It's not just about being able to list off these perfections of what love is. It's about changing the way that we live so that we love more. And so as we get to delve into this thing and learn about love, which is a part of God's nature, because the Bible tells us that God is love. So as we categorize them, the first category I'd say is we have love's approach. Because as we begin here, he lists two things, and they're kind of opposite ends of the same spectrum. He says, love is patient. 
and kind. It's kind of a predisposition. It's how you approach life. But it's not dealing so much with the circumstances of life. It's, it's dealing with the people in life. Right? There's other words like endurance that deals more with the circumstances of life. Being able to handle tough times that come into your life. This word patience actually deals more with people. The idea is that when somebody mistreats you or when somebody wrongs you in some way, you can take that and not retaliate back against them. That if somebody offends you in some way, you don't have to offend right back. You don't retaliate right back. This is the kind of love that Jesus was displaying when He was talking about if somebody slaps you on the one cheek, turn them the other one. Love is non-retaliatory. It doesn't strike back. One of the, the early church leaders, Chrysostom, he said it is a word which is used of the man who is wronged and who it is easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. You see, we're called to love not because something is lovely or because someone is lovely. We're called to love because God is love and He is within us. And so we're supposed to love because we are loving and because God is love. One of the passages that we cross-referenced to last week when Jesus said, look, if you love everybody who loves you, then what, what thanks do you have? Everybody does that. That doesn't show any great quality of love. But love is patient. When somebody inflicts or accuses us, we can, we can endure it. I read a thing uh, yesterday about Abraham Lincoln. One of his first political opponents, I think it was Stanton, if I remember right. I think the guy's name was Stanton. When Stanton was competing politically against Abraham Lincoln, he referred to him in a couple of very negative ways. One of the ways that he referred to him is he called him the original gorilla. He used to tell people, you don't need to go to Africa to see a gorilla when there's one so readily available in Illinois. You can just go look at Abe. And so this guy was ruthless, attacking his personal looks. And Abraham Lincoln, when he became president, he had the high office of director of cabinet dealing with warfare. And you know who he appointed to that high position? Stanton. And one of his good friends asked him at one time, he says, why in the world would you put that guy who went around the nation calling you a gorilla in that high office? And Lincoln just said humbly, which by the way, he never did address being called a gorilla. He never brought it up once, from my understanding. But he said, he's the best man for the job. And so he put him in there. Well, it's interesting, when Lincoln's body laid in the coffin and Stanton came up for the viewing, Stanton is recorded to have made a statement that the man that lies here is the greatest leader of man the world has ever known. So Lincoln overcame in his patience, in his love, he overcame the hostilities of that guy that would call him a gorilla and win him over to where he would look at Lincoln as the greatest leader of men that ever lived. That's what the Bible tells us love does. Love is patient. I was reading a book recently called The Book That Made Your World, and it talks about the Bible's influence on Western culture. And it's kind of interesting because when you look back in the days of the Greco-Roman Empire, which is what this was written in, patience was not a virtue. Humility was not a virtue. Those were things for the weak. You know who was kind of the epitome of the hero back in those days was Alexander the Great, like a fierce, dominant individual who would conquer ruthlessly. That was the hero of the day. It would be years, centuries, before our heroes would take less of a self-serving attitude and more of a self-sacrificing presence. And you know what made that difference? The influence of Christianity. As the Christianity began to influence the Roman culture and then the cultures that came after it, the Western culture, you have the prominence of the ideology of Jesus Christ. 
and the hero became more and more a person that was willing to sacrifice himself, sacrifice his own life. For us as Christianity made more and more of an impact on the culture around it, uh, the nature of our hero changed. Well, you know what? We still have a little bit of the old hanging on. Because how many times do you hear people brag about almost that, you know what, I'm just not a very patient person. I've talked about it times, and sometimes I do struggle with patience. But there's been times in my life where, I, where uh, that kind of a statement where I say, you know what, I'm not very patient. I actually look at that as almost a, a pat on the back because I'm, I'm about getting something done, that means. Well, actually... To be impatient with people is not a, necessarily a sign of getting something done. It's just a sign of being unloving. Now I don't feel so good about that statement. If we're loving toward other people, if we care about other people, we're going to be patient. But then also it talks about kindness. It's really the same issue, but it's kind of focusing on two different ends of it, right? Because with patience, you're talking about what you can take. Look, I can take that and it's okay. I can absorb that. It's all right. I don't need to fight back. I don't need to retaliate back. Kindness is about what you can give towards somebody else. I can reach out to somebody else. I can be that kind of person that's trying to be a benefit in other people's lives. You know, that also comes from the nature of God. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness, talking about God, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is being kind to you. He's being patient with you. And that kindness and patience is meant to bring you to a point of repentance. I remember hearing about a famous atheist that used to go around the country speaking, and it was fairly common for him that sometimes in his speeches he would slander against God. He would often say, okay, I'm going to give this next five minutes. In the next five minutes, God has an opportunity to stand up for himself and he can strike me with lightning or whatever to prove that he exists as he was arguing against the existence of God. There was another individual one time that made this statement about that guy. He said, what a fool that thinks you could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes. But that's the point is the guy's missing the point. The guy's saying, God, go ahead, hit me. God is saying, you don't get it. The whole reason I'm not hitting you is I'm giving you time. I'm giving you pace. I'm being kind to you. This kindness should bring you to repentance. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God isn't just nice to the nice people. God is nice to all people. As we exercise the love of God in this world, that should be our approach to everyone, no matter who they are. Well, not only do we see love's approach, we also see love's attitude. It says in verse Four, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not envy or boast. You know, those two things, kind of again, same thing. Opposite ends of the same issue. In fact, David K. Lowry, he put, he put this. He said, envy and boasting are like two poles of the same problem. In both cases, you're wanting yourself to be on the top of the heap. You're wanting yourself to be catered to. Envy is looking at something somebody else has and saying, that's better than what I have. I want that. And boasting is the same root issue. It's saying, look, I have something better than what you have. And I'm pretty excited about that. Whether you're looking at it from a negative way and saying, poor me, I don't have what you have. I really want that. Or you're looking at yourself saying, boy, I've got it and you don't. It's really kind of the same issue. And so we shouldn't be on either of those ends. When somebody else has something that's neat, whether it's a possession or a relationship or different things, whatever, we should be able to celebrate that. It shouldn't be contingent on whether we have feel that we have it as good in those areas. 
And when we're the one that's blessed, it's not in our place to say, wow, look at how awesome I have because look at what I've got. He's already pointed that out to him several times in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 to 31, it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that what is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, the Corinthians were boasting about a lot of other people and themselves as well. They were making kind of celebrities out of these guys. And the Apostle Paul says, look, enough of that. God's taken the weak things of the world and used them to confound the strong. The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Let's let our boasting be in the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 21, he says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. This is where he's saying, look, you don't need to think about who's Paul and Peter and all those guys. We're all, we're all serving the same Christ and we're all serving you. We're all yours. You don't have to make those dis- distinctions, divisions. Let's don't boast in men. Let's focus on, on Christ. In chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Even when it came to spiritual gifts and things, they used those things to say who was more prominent or who was better even on a spiritual level than one another. They they kind of ruined everything in this church through either their envy or their arrogance. In fact, that's exactly why we find 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul is saying, let me show you a better way. Set aside the envy and the boasting and just love one another. The Apostle Paul stated it to the Galatians in this way. He says, Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, when we look at the Apostle Paul, we always think of all the churches that he started, the missionary trips that he took, the people that came to Christ, the books of the Bible that God used him to write. So many different things he could have bragged about. You know what he thought about when he thought about himself? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the one that persecuted the church. I was holding the coats when Stephen died. And so you know what he rejoiced in? The cross. Because the cross is the difference between the Apostle Paul who persecuted the church and saw to the death of Stephen and the guy that God uses to write his Bible and and lead people to Christ and start churches and all of that is the cross. The Apostle Paul would look at it and say, what do I have that I didn't wasn't given by God? What do we have? Any gifts, any abilities, any amount of intelligence or compassion? Or you don't have, We don't have anything we didn't receive. So why boast in it? And what are we doing when we're boasting? We're setting ourselves up, which it's always a scale, right? Why do you feel like you're up? Because you feel like everybody else is down. And that's, that re- love really has no part in that. Love won't be arrogant over other people or boast other over people or even envy those that we feel maybe have it better than us because we're not going to get on that comparison. We're just going to care for. We're just going to be considerate of the other people. And then he uses one more word in there. He he talks about rudeness. When you're rude, when you're blunt, when you're kind of coarse in the way that you come across, when you act in a rude way, you're really kind of elevating yourself and saying, you know what, you're not worth me taming my tongue. You're not worth me being careful how I speak. You're not worth me using manners instead of just being blunt. Pick somebody that you would love to meet. How would you talk if all of a sudden you were in the presence of that person? Now, is it different than how you would talk with anybody else? The question is, well, why? You see, I'm not saying that that person doesn't deserve manners when you talk in front of them. But everybody deserves manners. Everybody deserves a level of speech. 
because they also deserve that kind of respect. Love's approach, love's attitude, love's resilience. It says it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The reason I put resilience in there is because resilience is the idea of being pushed, bent out of your comfort zone and able to come back to what you're supposed to be. You're in a situation maybe or confronted by a person that rubs you the wrong way, that irritates you in some way, but you're able to keep your composure. You're able to still be loving even when you're in an obnoxious environment. That's what the idea of resilience is. You're able to be who you're supposed to be no matter how somebody's pushing on you or what buttons they're pushing. It says it doesn't demand to have it their own way. Now, that kind of ties right in with these other two things, right? The first one is irritable. When are you irritable? I know I'm irritable when I'm not getting my own way, usually. Irritable. What is what is irritable? It's kind of like when your nerves are, are, are all out on the surface of you, right? You're easily offended. Your buttons are easily pushed. You're kind of uh, ready to go off. That's not love. In love, we don't have to have our own way. We don't have to be pushing for our own way. We're not going to be irritable with other people because we're so sensitive because we're not getting our own way. And then the other word that it uses there, resentful. Resentful is actually an accounting term. The idea is that you're keeping a record of wrongs. You're resentful against somebody because you've got a record of wrongs, ways that they've wronged you. And so you're resentful to them because, well, they've offended you in all these different ways. And you're not forgetting that. You're not letting that go. To put it simply, love is not a keeper of records. If we find ourselves rehearsing wrongs that other people have done to us, we're operating outside of love at that moment. That is not love. And so that's, that falls right back into the not getting my own way. I'm being selfish in these things. Alensky, I like what he said. He said, cure selfishness and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. Because that's where it all took place. That's where it all started. It was right back in the Garden of Eden. When we're resentful, it's like the opposite of forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I recognize that you owe me, that you have hurt me in some way, harmed me. You know what? I recognize there's a debt and I'm going to forgive that debt. Christ has borne your price. I'm not going to cash in on that debt. You're free. Forgiveness then means the opposite of keeping records. It's, it's when that comes to mind, I'm going to dismiss it. I've forgiven that. It's gone. Resentment says, yeah, let's not forget that. Let's write it down. Let's get it on the record. One of the commentators that I read said he knew a guy that he considered to be a pretty strong Christian guy. And in getting to know him better, he learned that he kept a little book where he wrote down everybody that offended him. He's like, that is such a non-Christian book. I worked with a guy one time. He said when he was growing up, his dad kept a kept an account of everything they broke. If you broke a plate, he wrote it down on your tab. And he expected you when you turned 18 to pay him back for everything that you broke as you as you heard his house. I thought, man, I would be in debt. I remember playing basketball in our basement and a heel going through the paneling on the wall. And I dented my dad's truck at least once. And yeah, there was a lot of debt to be paid back there if my dad would have been kept in a record. But thankfully, he did not. Love doesn't keep those records. Love isn't resentful in those ways. Love is re- resilient. Those negative things are going to happen. Jesus said the world's full of that stuff. It's, it's going to happen. There's going to be offenses. They're coming. We've got to be resilient. Our love is resilient. It, when pushed upon, it 
it bounces back. It, it, it remains loving. You know what? We're, God's really not giving us or asking of us anything that He hasn't done for us. You know, I use that same term, that accounting term, in dealing with Romans chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 19, it says, That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, God loved us so much that He sent His own Son to be the Savior of us. So that He could do what? Not count our sins against us. That's what love does. Love wipes that slate clean. Love gets rid of that account. Love keeps no record of wrongs being done. And that's exactly what God tells us to do. Love is resilient. But then we also see love's integrity. Love's integrity. The world really misses the boat on this one. In the world, we're told today that the love is just kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling about everything and that you just got to be accepting of everything. That's not love. Love is integrity. The Bible tells us in this passage, it says it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, sometimes the world points the finger at, at Christianity and our, you know, our values and said, look, you, you need to reaffirm these people in the things that they're doing. And we just say we just can't. In fact, you know what? We don't consider it loving to reaffirm people in their sin. We cannot go there. We will not celebrate sin in order to make somebody else feel better about their sin. We can't go there. And that's where we see the integrity to love. Love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that I'm not going to rain on your parade or anything. Love is, love is tough. Love's not going to rejoice in wrongdoing, but it's, but it's going to rejoice in the truth. It's going to speak the truth. Now, obviously, it's going to do it in a way that's patient and in a way that's kind, but it's going to hold to the truth. Love has integrity to it. And that's why God, you ever notice that God in, in saving us, His way of saving us was not to just to say, you know what, I, don't, I know you've done a whole bunch of bad stuff, but you know what, oh well, how about I just affirm you in that? No. What God actually did was said, you know what, you've done a lot of stuff. Let me pay the price for it. And you repent of it. And believe in my son who paid the price for it. And I'll make you right. You see, God doesn't just dismiss our sin. He conquers our sin. And the Corinthian church had the same lesson to learn. Remember back in chapter 5, they had a guy that was in gross sin. And, and the Apostle Paul told him, look, you've got to discipline that guy. You've got to kick him out. Not warm, fuzzy time. Not a warm, fuzzy time. You've got to kick him out. Why? In hopes that he will repent and come back. And that's exactly what happened as you read up into 2 Corinthians. But it, love has integrity to it. You, have to, you can't rejoice in wrong. You can't affirm what is wrong. You have to rejoice in the truth. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, when it talks about all the horrendous sin in that chapter that the pagans got into because of 
of uh, they're turning their back on God. He says, though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, love does not condone sin. Love rescues from sin. Love has an integrity to it. And then finally, in the last part of the passage, in these last four things he's going to throw in here, we see love's optimism. Love is always optimistic. It's always hopeful. It's always um, looking for the good in people and wanting the good in people and never giving up on that. He uses these, these statements. He says in verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now in this, obviously, you know, believes all things. It's not what he just got talking, done talking about rejoicing in the truth. He's not talking about believing a lie. But what all those things together are kind of pointing to is this optimism. That this, that we don't give up on people. That we, that we have a hope for people. We have, we're willing to bear with them. And we have a hope for them. And we believe, we, we're hoping that, that, uh, that they will turn and come to Christ. We're hoping that things will work out better for them. And when we first, maybe if you first hear about something, somebody, that somebody has done something that's not kosher. You first hear about that. What is your, your first response, the first response is to give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I hope that's not the case. I hope not. And then what if you find out that it, that was the truth, that it was, that that is the way something happened? Well, then you're still hoping the best for them. You might have to confront them about some things or whatever, but you're still hoping for the best. I hope that they come to deal with this. I hope that they repent of this. I hope that they, you, you got their best in mind. And how long do you keep up that hope? Well, we endure. We endure all things. We're going to, we're going to keep on hoping and we're going to keep on reaching out. And we're going to... That's what love is. You see, there's, a, there's an optimism to love. You know, we've, we've had an issue with our son Zach and our family for eight years now. It's amazing it's been eight years. Since the last time that we've got to talk to him, we've got grandchildren we haven't seen even a picture of. One of them we can't, haven't even been able to find out a way to find out what her name is. And you know what? We, off, we go through ups and downs of thinking about it, times where we think about it more, and the struggles that we go through with it. But you know what? There's, there's always, I think every time we talk about it, there's always one statement that's made. This isn't over yet. It's not over. That's our constant. That's still our. We still have hope of of that coming around. We still have hope of a better relationship. We still have hope of knowing our grandchildren, and we just we're not giving up on that. And that's that's the idea that we just that we just keep on. That there's a that there's an optimism. I have great hope and some confidence that someday something's going to break. Something's going to happen. Some, a word of Scripture that my son hears or a comment from somebody else that's going to trigger something or something's going to open up. 
some way to communicate. Well, that's the kind of optimism that love has. So as we look at it this morning, what is what is love or what does love do? Well, we saw love's approach. We need to be patient and kind. We see love's attitude. We shouldn't be envious or boastful. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be arrogant or, or rude. We see love's resilience. We don't wanna we shouldn't need to get our way in everything. We shouldn't be uh, irritable or resentful. Those are not fruits of love. We see love's integrity, that love has integrity, that we're not going to rejoice in wrongdoing. That's not actually loving, but actually we're going to rejoice in the truth and we're going to pursue truth in those things. And uh, so we're going to experience love's integrity and then lastly, love's optimism. We need to hang in there. We need to bear all things. We need to believe all things, hope all things, endure all things.